programmatic. The third-party cookies. But understand moments and emotions of those users. Sharpen each other to be our best. Favor the AVOD services. Increase transparency. And maintain the audiences that they've worked so hard to create. Hey, I'm Curran, Head of Advertiser Partnerships at Xander. And I'm Amina, Director of Solutions Consulting. So we made it. Welcome. Welcome back to The Programmatic Life, the podcast that meets the talent behind the ad tech. In today's episode, Advertising and Me, we are going to be talking about the consumer and advertising. Um, We are going to be looking at how consumers respond to advertising. Uh, Both myself and Karen have been in the industry for quite a while now. Not too many years, but I think over the duration of that time, our perception of advertising has changed. I know mine certainly has. If I think back to when I started in the industry, it was a very transactional industry for me. And what I mean by that is I saw myself very much as a consumer um, being sold to by advertising. And I think what's happened over the course of the years as I started working with publishers is I really see the benefit of the industry as a whole to publishing and journalism and free press and I think that evolution has been really important for me. Being in the industry I'm I'm sensitive to to advertising when it pops up and it got me thinking there's something I wanted to get your take on is around you know the the different screens we talk about omni-channel all the time now whether it's like tablets, phone, laptop, tv, connected devices and streaming platforms all those kind of bits and pieces like my appetite for adverts and like the the type of creative that I see just varies so much by format. Like what I'll take on a tablet, right, in a in a video advert versus CTV where there might be more eyes on screen, that level of personalization feels more intrusive to me on certain formats. So it just highlighted the importance of like the creative treatment being relevant for the format that that it's made for. And, and I just wanted to get your view on that, like whether it was just me or that was something that, you know, like was was kind of relevant relevant to any, everyone felt the same way or, uh, or or differently. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think being in the industry, we probably are more sensitive to it than others would be. There are certain areas where, you know, we've grown up seeing ads, like, you know, being on the internet, I've grown up seeing ads on, on web pages. That's kind of been natural. Growing up with TV, you kind of see it within the TV uh, schedule. Um, So there's places you expect it and places you've grown up seeing it. And I think that's kind of ingrained in what we've seen. Where it becomes challenging is where you perhaps haven't seen ads before and suddenly it's sort of being brought in. And I think that's where um, a bit more thought needs to be put in about how you can do it in a way that makes sense. And, you know, you talked about the creative being important. I think the creative is super important in that situation because it needs to make sense and it needs to flow. So... Well, I guess that leads us really nicely on to to our guest, Seamless Almost. Um, So today on the podcast, we have got Ross Sargent, who is head of media and touch points at Asahi European International. He's been in the industry for over 20 years, managed some really cool brands across kind of like the drinks category, but also worked at an agency. Um, And just kind of get his view that the the title of the the episode is, is Advertising and Me, so very broad, but we just want to really kind of dig into what's inspired him, the changes he's seen within the industry and, and kind of what excites him about the industry moving forward. Welcome, Welcome Ross. Ross. Thanks so for having me. Thank you. you. Brilliant to have nice you to on the, uh, the podcast with us. And, and I think really appropriate for this topic, which is advertising and me, which is a broad topic, but really takes us back to the, the heart of advertising and talking about kind of the ads that have resonated with you and, mm. and more around kind of how 
as a medium that ads help brands engage with their target consumers in a meaningful way outside of just media buying. So uh, yeah. that's a that's an interesting interesting place. Amina, where should we where should we start on this one? Um, so I think maybe to kick us off a little bit, we'd love to hear about your thoughts around. From a consumer perspective, how do ads work? And maybe you can kind of talk through some of the brands that you've worked with and some of the um, messaging that's sort of been yeah. created from those brands. So it's a it's it's a tough thing when people or family or friends say things like, you know, what what ads do you like the most? And and we as people we 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 gravitate towards a TV ad that we can reference. So it'll be this guy and this character and this family did this and it was really funny and that was the end of it. And it's a bit like media research again. When you ask people, they gravitate towards that. But that isn't always the thing that affects us the most. So for me, the campaign that I I was most touched by, most moved by personally and in my career was the Johnny Walker campaign from about 15, 18 years ago. It was the Keep Walking uh, Dramatic Outdoor campaign. And... uh, at the time, I was young and I was in, obviously, media and it was an exciting time and things were going really, really well and we were advancing in our careers and everything was going great. So so to talk about a, a, a brand like Johnny Walker, which is about progress and success, and and frankly, I was working uh, in, a, in a, an entire environment in the city where conspicuous consumption and, and showing your success was a good thing. Um, it's a little different where I live now in Ealing, where that's not really seen as a good thing to do, but uh, slightly more understated. But at the time, that was great. So there was this campaign for Johnny Walker, which was dramatic outdoor billboards, big, big billboards. And they were black on the back and they had yellow coloring. And that was it. There was just two colors, really. And we did so much with those campaigns. We, they, were, they were really, really big on outdoor and some of them won the neon. And what was the most amazing thing for me was, and it was before my time, so I can't claim the credit for this at all, was we took all of the airports in the whole of South Africa, which had never been having advertising before. And we also took the business class lounges. And it went from a campaign that was globally probably maybe had a bit of a TV and a bit of an outdoor behind it to this fully engrossing piece around travel and business travel and premium travel. And and the beautiful thing about it is you didn't have to be in a business class seat to enjoy this experience, but you could see the signaling of it. So it was really, really quite beautiful. And at the same time, when you went to a bar or a club or a restaurant, you would get the same feeling with the same look and feel. Um, So that's definitely one of my favorite campaigns. I'm sorry, I can't say it's that lovely, funny ad with the with the cute family, but it really this resonated well. Funny you should mention that. I think Amina goes for the fuzzy ads. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's What's not yours? a shocker, really. I do love a good John Lewis ad. All right, a John Lewis okay. Christmas ad. Yeah, it's it's similar though. It's the lifestyle that's sort of brought about. It's not necessarily about the format and what that specific format is. It's the the lifestyle it creates and kind of that perception that it creates. With advertising, it's a lot about feeling and the, the feeling that's evoked from it. For me, the the Johnny Walker campaigns and the Keep Walking campaign, the consistency of that message since mm. me, before being able to drink, but growing up in a Punjabi household where lots of Johnny Walker was consumed, I always knew the brand very well. Yeah. I mean, that's all obviously stayed consistent. But what's interesting now is that message is, because it's always been a very, felt like a very male targeted messaging, which it probably yeah. was. Yeah. Obviously, as consumption of whiskey has changed, and mm. now there's a lot more targeted towards females, yep. it's interesting to see them change their messaging a bit. I saw them do a, a female version of the Johnny Walker keep walking character very recently. Yes, yes. I and I'm actually yeah, yeah, keeping right. the yeah. consistent message, but but yeah. making sure it 
continues to speak to your consumer as they change. Yeah. How crucial is that from an advertising <laughs> perspective? Oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough topic at the moment because um, I think the thing that inspired me to get into advertising digital was that, was that um, people are different and they're different in different ways and, and we, we can all align to the same similar human truth. There's no doubt about that. And the product and the brand, hopefully the product more than the brand, answers that human truth. And that's going to apply to all of us no matter where we are. But the reality of the world is we're different. Uh, we're all very different. And um, from where I sit in a, in, a, in a global position, there is absolutely no doubt that we're going to run a different language in France than we are in Spain. We're all fine with that. Um, and then as we get further, further into it, we realize that actually the dynamics in France are a little bit different to the dynamics, to the, to the, the dynamics in Spain. So maybe there's reason to tweak it a little bit. And then you get further on and you realize that actually within Spain, there's two different languages, possibly three, maybe even four. And, and there's different types of people and there's different types of people. Some would respond to a woman being a lead in that particular advertising and some wouldn't. And, and we have to be sensitive to what that is. And, you know, you, you on the one side at the moment, you have this, this really, really strong debate trying to drag us back to the 1960s where there is this one beautiful 60-second TV ad which is created in this, in this hope that the world is all the same and we're all perfectly good. Uh, and, and they're coming from the right place. They're coming from the place of it's about consistency and it's about distinctiveness. And the more different you get, the less distinctive and consistent you are, which is fine. But it ignores the reality that we always make exceptions. We definitely do a different ad for China with different stars in it. Um, so I think it's really important today. Um, we are learning, even, even just within the UK, we are learning how diverse our actual country is, how many people there are outside the M25, um, how they speak differently and how they res you know, respond differently to different messages. Um, and I think that's... That's something that we all need to resolve is the ability that we have now to do different things for different people, while at the same time being consistent without just the same stuff. Um, you kind of mentioned earlier that ads are evolving and, you know, um, things like the fact that it's no longer about just a TV ad. It um, might be a creative that you see online. What are your thoughts around how we evolve the targeting process of advertising um, is it too much? Is it too little? What do we need to change? Hmm. So um, targeting has got to do with the way that advertising works. So I think there's there's on the on, on the there's two sides to it. The, the the one side where targeting is less necessary is in the part where people are out of market. So the, so frankly, most of the time, we are not in market for a particular product in a particular category. And we as marketers and media people, we can't predict where those people are going to be at that time. I do believe strongly in the last sort of 10 or so years, we've had some excellent proper scientists doing proper science research, which frankly, in marketing, we either didn't have or still ignore. But it's very clear and it shows us that we can't predict when people are going to be um, – coming into contact with our products reliably. We mm -hmm. can predict overall on aggregate, but I can't predict when you or you or I are actually going to be going into, into category. And advertising works so incredibly well when I can capture you just before you go into category and just after you go into category. And I'm not talking about sales driving work here. It's merely the long-term brand building piece. So if, if I can talk about my category, which is beer, um, if, if, 
if I am not going to go to a bar or a pub or a club or a restaurant for the next six days, um, it's probably le less effective to communicate than if I was just about to go into the situation or I had been two days ago. Because if it works as that sort of gentle nudging and gently afterwards or, or gently before you get the brand into mind and gently afterwards you remind the person that, frankly, you don't remember what you had two nights ago. It was just some beer that you'd never seen before that you kind of liked and you'll never remember it again. But now I'm going to remind you it was an Asahi Super Dry. And that sits within your mind. So from that perspective, there's two ways to look at it. The one way is to say, oh, we can't do this. We just can't do this. So let's go back to the 90s and pretend we just have to take good old TV ads out on some broadcast TV channel, if you can find one. Um, and then we just got to hope that it spreads evenly. Another way is to say we need to solve for that. There is a way to understand when people are going to go in and out of market and we can target that way. Yeah, uh, that was Amina's uh, attempt, thinly veiled attempt, by the way. Are getting us more into the, the world of privacy <laughs> and identity around targetability. But I think it's particularly relevant, um, especially when you talk about kind of people being in category. And do you think the, <clears throat> I suppose, the, the bad forms of targeting mm -hmm. and the aggressive forms of targeting have put us in the situation we're in from a marketing perspective? Because as a consumer, right, I've always believed in, you know, like when ta targeting or advertising is truly relevant, it feels unobtrusive it doesn't feel intrusive at all. it feels it feels natural whereas i think do you f feel that advertisers have potentially crossed the line which has put us in the position we are now where consumers just feel inundated with what are in theory relevant messages i'm doing the the little uh okay, quotes yeah quote signs there um or uh, do you think that's been part been part of the problem yeah i think it's got to do with the messaging in those situations so uh, people and i do feel that if you assume that i'm in market and i'm not in market and you're offering me an offer it is a bit more um it hits you harder than if it's the usual subtle messaging so i walked here along oxford road um it was wonderful and it's really beautiful and there's lots of signage and i probably i didn't count but there was probably 50 60 pieces of gentle communication that I saw and I could probably write down 10 of those brands and I probably subconsciously remember the other 40 actually. Um, none of those jumped out at me in the street and said, oh, come in here right now and buy whatever it is from H&M or whatever it had to be. But it was subtle and we're used to that. We're comfortable with that. What is difficult is when you are followed around online with an offer for something that you weren't really interested in or might be interested in or already have bought or have decided you can't buy it. And it's assuming that you're in the negotiation stage. And I think that's what people find quite creepy. If it's a... Um, you know, if it's just an ad, I'm going to use my own brands now because I see different ones on the table that we're drinking. We're drinking soft drinks, by the way. Uh, so if, if I see an ad for Peroni Nostra Zoro, which literally just says this is a fabulous lifestyle, it's, it's not too much. But if I see one in the wrong context at the wrong time, well, I'm on my way to dropping the kids off at school and it says buy one right now from this fantastic retailer for $4.99, then yeah, that's a bit much. On that topic well actually on the reverse side of that topic where if we're putting away the, the kind of bad practice with advertising what do you feel are like the biggest opportunities for advertisers with all the formats and the targetability etc that we've got and, and moving into the cookie future i'm mm -hmm. sure i mean all appreciate um what what do you think the biggest advertisers are for brands now kind of going forward the biggest opportunity for advertisers mm -hmm. hmm. um i think we we really do need to move back towards building brands that are more 
um, a broader appeal. Um, I think a lot of advertisers got very excited by getting incredibly niche. Um, you know, there used to be a time, and I'm sure there still is, when you might have a, a strategy or, a, or an advertising strategy which says we've defined this perfect group of finite weird people for this particular product. They all drive Range Rovers and they're superstars and they look fabulous and they go to you know Malta for holidays and and then you look at it and you go well that's 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 that doesn't really that's maybe the picture of the people in the TV ad sure but that's not really who we're really targeting. And usually it's not the people who are actually drinking or, or, or buying the stuff at all. And one of the biggest things we've learned, um, and we've learned it from the from you know from the best uh, research, is that the vast majority of our buyers and everybody's buyers are infrequent, disinterested people. And I think the opportunity for advertisers is to be much more realistic about the people that are really buying their products. Yeah. So, for example, simply in this country, and I'm not necessarily talking, talking about alcohol, but just broadly, if 50% of the population is over the age of 50, and you've got some weird ad agency saying that you should target your products at people between the ages of 25 and 40, what, you know, what's that about? You've got, you've got to ask yourself, um, that, that, what is that broader sense? What, what is the appeal? I mean, you, you talk about um, John Lewis. John Lewis really has it right in that broad – I mean, you could, you could go down the wrong road and you could say John Lewis is purely for middle-class West London, um, you know, well-to-do people with family and create that exact world. And, and then the, the error would be that the media agency would go and try and find those people and exclude, you know, all the rest of us um, – We've got to find them. And I, I think the opportunity coming back to the first thing I said is reaching everybody, but reaching them at that right time. Yeah. Just kind of talking about that broad appeal, how do you balance broad appeal with um, kind of reaching diverse audiences? Can you do both? Yeah, I think you can do both as long as you're not um, absolutely sort of hard, fast sold on the necessity to have one piece of creative. Um, again, we're very comfortable with different forms of creative or different variations of the same message in different countries. Even within one country, we have diverse populations, and we should understand that. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier um, being from from West London. I live in West London, but I'm, my family's from Lincolnshire, despite what my accent might sound like. Um, and it's you know, it's it's strange to 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 be listening to Links FM in the middle of Lincolnshire and hear a London voice on the radio station. It, it's quite jarring. It's, it, just, it doesn't seem foreign. It just doesn't seem like they really could be bothered, actually. So when it comes to diverse audience, and of course, uh, you know, my husband and I are part of the LGBT community, and there is, there is glaringly obvious opportunities to be able to be inclusive. Now, if you want to do that in one 90-second TV ad, yeah, maybe you can have a smorgasbord of every single walk of life. Uh, but maybe the, the better solution is dynamic content. It is uh, providing different variations of the same big idea to different people at the right time. Maybe we have got a little bit further to go to understand how to get to those people in the perfect time at the perfect place. And, and I know we're going to get there, um, but ultimately, ultimately we should. And it's, just, it's not fair, and I can say this amongst us, it's not fair that the, the drumbeat of the traditional ad agencies is that, well, targeting isn't as good as we thought it would be. Um, and it turns out everybody else is actually the same. Well, they're not the same. They are different. And uh, the targeting is much better than they can, frankly, usually yeah. comprehend. 
brands that seem to me to be a lot more leaned in. So as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, bringing the passing a lot of the decision making to the agencies. Yeah. Brands are taking a lot more control of the decisions, not necessarily in isolation, but bringing the partners on the journey. Is that a change that you've seen within the businesses you've worked for? Absolutely. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I worked um, at a media agency, a, a really awesome one, and our um, our team between the media agency and the ad agency was larger than the entire marketing team at one of the biggest car makers in the country. And it was that, that sort of weird situation where Everything was outsourced, and that's when, uh, that's when you know there there was no thought that we we the advertisers would do anything. Um, and I've seen that change completely. Uh, everybody's considering what what is it that we should be more accountable for. It's not about what we should do and they shouldn't do, but what we should be more accountable for and what we should be more involved in. Um, and I definitely do think that brands are getting much more much more involved. Yeah, definitely, definitely a shift that we've seen. So interesting to hear that from the from the brands directly. Moving on from uh, from from kind of this section, if we talk about kind of you as a an individual within the the industry, what's your kind of career highlights and main sources of kind of inspiration from within the uh, the industry so far? I've had a lovely time. I've been working in um, media and advertising for about twenty two years. Uh, it's I've twenty three years now that I count. It's mm. it, it's been really lovely, and I've met some mean people. And I've met some lovely people, and and I think um, the mean people have only ever been mean because it's it is stressful, and there is a tension between advertising and media, which is which is unfortunate uh, feature of the last ten to fifteen years. It's 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 a good thing because you need that that debate, but it it has become difficult. And I think there's there's three people that have broken through with it for me. So the first, without a doubt, is Sharon Keith. Uh, Sharon is ex-Diageo and now currently Heineken and Sharon was my marketing director when we were younger and I couldn't say she's like a mother because she's too young but she's like an older sister and she's really awesome and the one thing she said to me when I was when all of us when we were quite young was um, you know it was about trust and she said you should always assume positive intent in other people um, and we used to deal with lots of agencies and lots of different thoughts. And um, we, w- we would have media agencies telling us one thing and PR agencies telling us another thing and ad agencies telling us another thing. And, and, and she was really good about getting us to assume that actually they generally are always, everybody is actually uh, fighting a good cause. There's another person, which is uh, Shannon Yule, who used to work with me at Diageo and went on to other awesome things as well. And she really inspired me to to believe in myself. And she did that for a lot of people, is that you can very regularly get an imposter syndrome in this business. I, I, I get it all the time, and I, I know everybody does. And particularly when you say something contentious on LinkedIn, and every person who feels that they can do what they would do on Twitter decides to just jump in because it doesn't agree with what it is that they might have told their clients the other day. And I understand why. Again, assume best intentions. They're just trying to defend their track. And then there's another one, Zoomin Jongwe, who's also ex-Diageo and she's now with Nestle. Um, it's just one of those people that's really inspired me to 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 approach life with absolute energy and vigor. I mentioned I've been doing this for 23 years and you could get tired and bored and disinterested and do a nine to five, but there are some people and Zumi's one of them who's just able to, with a big smile, just bring everything to life and, and bring it back. So I think the more kind of people like that that we can have in the industry uh, as is better. Amazing. Thank you for highlighting 
the amazing people in the industry really appreciate that. So, Ross, yeah. Room 101, your one ad tech pet, pet peeve. Um, and you have 60 seconds to describe it. Um, it can be something you've talked about before, but we are ready to hear it. KPIs. I did a finance degree before I went into marketing and did a marketing degree as well. Um, there is absolutely no doubt on a, on a financial discussion that you have a very clear set of KPIs. They work across companies. They work across countries. There is no reason why in marketing we should not have the same set of KPIs for brand and for media. It's very frustrating when media agencies, ad agencies, anybody designs their own KPIs for their own moment, for their own time. Uh, we need to have standardized and reliable KPIs across the industry. Cool. So it's the lack of lack of clarity on KPIs that's going into one on consistency. Well? Yeah. Consistency and lack of clarity. Mm. Um, and in it implies a misunderstanding of what you're trying to do in the first place. So if the if the KPI is there and it's you know, it's like it's like a, a view through rate or a click through rate and I'm like, are you trying to judge whether you like whether they like the creative or whether they got a sub subversive message, message which yeah. you're trying to give them in the first place? Ross, well, so you've explained it well, but not explained it well enough to describe what the solution might be to things like lack of lack of clear KPIs. Where where do we get to? I guess it's a move away from last click and things like that, and into yep. into real life. KPIs. It definitely is a way uh, a move away from last click, and and to be honest, I have uh, have it on my phone as to what the right KPIs should be, <laughs> um, but I think uh, it's it requires a bit of research. Uh, it requires a bit of independent research uh, by everybody together. So you know, large digital companies uh, like yourselves, it certainly could help. Uh, large advertising agencies and large clients need to come together. Um, and give some clarity on what those KPIs uh, should be. They should be fairly obvious, um, and they aren't that difficult to define. Uh, but industry standard KPIs, I think, would help us all. Yeah, mm. at, at least at a baseline. Just baseline. You're yeah. always going to have something over and above, which was specific mm -hmm. to what you needed. Um, but there should be a general baseline. And, you know, there, there is one at the moment, which is reach which was really lovely in the 80s and 90s when you were discussing how many people you're going to reach with your TV ad on, on, on the one or two broadcast TV channels. Uh, we've moved beyond that, and I think we need to all take the lead and say, right, well, this is what it is. And, and again, I've got it if anyone wants to know. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Ross, that has absolutely flown by. Again, another really interesting topic and great to get your take on, on all of those bits and pieces. Um, so we just want to say a massive thank you for, for coming in today and uh, and speaking with us. Brilliant. Well, thank you for Thanks having so me. Much. Thanks for your time. Thank you. It's been great. What a great guy and what a great conversation. What did you think, Karen? I really enjoyed it. I particularly like the, the kind of emphasis on creative and, and storytelling and, and that kind of thing. I think that really sings to me and, and keeps on the theme of moving away from transactional to more kind of creating a relationship with the consumer. Yeah, I mean, this podcast is about people and the people behind Programmatic. I really liked the way Ross called out some of the people who have been really important and influential in his career. Um, it was a really nice touch. Moving on to next week, we have the brilliant Lauren Ogundeko, Chief Digital Officer at Initiative, joining us. And we are going to be talking about everything trade shows. Post-COVID, they are back in full swing. So now we need to find out, are they really worth it? Do we enjoy them? And uh, how can we make the most of them going forward? 
And don't forget, if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe and rate to help others find the show. See you next time. 